Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. And we are working our way through Chapter 15 in Scott Christensen's book. And so we want to just jump right into where we were when we uh, left it the last time. Right. We're talking about the incarnation and how important it is, so let's dig it. All right, so the impassable God takes on a passable nature. So nonetheless, we must dismiss the reality that the New Testament, we must not dismiss, I should say, the reality that the New Testament emphasizes the suffering of the God-man mm. in fulfillment of Isaiah's picture of the Messiah as the suffering servant. Thus, the impassable God takes on a passable nature. He always remains what he is, the eternal son of God, and became what he was not, a human like you and me. And as God, he's able to take on that without changing himself. Jesus is subject to suffering in his human nature, and this serves two functions in the relation to the theodicy. First, it is necessary for the defeat of sin and evil. And second, it complements the sympathetic care that the impassable God extends to those who suffer. In this regard, the incarnation of the eternal world, word as the a passable suffering human tells us that God knows our suffering, not just intellectually, but experientially. Right. So now we're going to have to pursue this a little further. Right. right. And so he says the point here is, is clear. If God suffers for all eternity, then there's nothing uniquely redemptive about Christ suffering on the cross. Right. So clearly Christ, yeah, <laughs> keeps Christ, if God, you know, so identified with our suffering and suffered with us and suffered throughout, you know, all eternity because he knew, then there's nothing uniquely uh, redemptive about Christ suffering. Christ suffering was unique. It was special. It's some, it happened once in time, place, and history, right? So the incarnation becomes, he says, if that's the case where God has suffered throughout all eternity, a pale copy of what God has been enduring all, uh, all throughout eternity. And thus the true power of divine compassion, he says, is inextricably tied to the cross where the suffering servant defeats the sources that first introduced suffering to the world. Right. And again, this is why we have to talk about fully God and fully man. It's not a half and a half. It's not uh, uh, kind of a mixture. It's, it's not uh, one or the other. Uh, it, it has to be um, both these things. All right, so the depths of Christ's suffering. Uh, Jesus accomplished the work of redemption as the messianic son of the living God, but he needed to bear the brunt of that work as a man. We talked a little bit about this uh, last time in the incarnation as well. The writer of Hebrews paints a vivid image. So in Hebrews 5.7, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. God secretly sustains the son's human obedience as he faces his most severe test. And so this is where you kind of get the 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 atheistic or the uh, Muslim joke about um, the the higher priestly prayer, prayer that Jesus does in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, you know, oh, Jesus is praying to himself about himself uh, for what he will do to himself. Well, no, that, again, that, that, uh, that's modalism, essentially. <laughs> and also, uh, if, if Jesus is uh, a, a, a Jewish uh, believer in God, who else would he be praying to? He, he's not an atheist. Yeah. So who would he be praying to? He would be praying to his father. And so uh, th this is where we need to understand um, e exactly the 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 uh, incarnation uh, right. model that right. Christianity so Jesus brings up. had two natures, right. right? Yes, and 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 the Trinity says that God is three persons, and so Jesus can pray to the Father, right? right. Yeah. 
So as Jesus is hoisted up on the cross, Christensen tells us his mental anguish soon uh, converges on a singularly dense point of infathomable duress, right? While um, menacing blackness hovers over his crucified form and the unearthly silence pours over his blood red head, right? His redemptive suffering has reached its apex. And uh, on this lonely beam, the cross on which he has battered body is, is nailed. But then, he says, comes the very darkest moment when his agony was so compacted, so infinite, as to be well-nigh unsustainable. Right? The, the whole uh, entail of sin, right? pains and agony that it would have taken the world an eternity to endure were poured out on him in that horrific moment. Right. I think this is where we need to be uh, more careful when we talk about um, the, the, the events of the cross and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, especially when it comes to believers, because I think it's easy to say, Oh, Jesus was led on this path. He, uh, you know, got whipped a few times. Uh, sure, I'm sure it hurt. Um, it, uh, it, it. He was nailed to the cross. Uh, he, he died early for some odd reason, and then, uh, you know, he's put in a grave. And then three days later, he rose again. Doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But we have to realize exactly what we talk about when we talk about sin. Sin is uh, uh, completely against his his godly nature, and that uh, is thrusted upon him. And not just one person's, but everybody's mm. uh, uh, throughout sin for all for yeah, yeah. for all of history of, yeah. of 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 his his people, and then the sins of the entire world on top of that. All of creation sin is put on him, and he suffers uh, in in that moment, as well as suffering with whips and lashes and pierced. Uh, uh, Wrists and, and so there's and kind feet. of there's a physical suffering which clearly you know the Romans knew how to do <laughs> right. that right yeah they were but pros at this, it yeah but there's this spiritual um, kind of side yeah. of it right yeah that's probably more horrific from his perspective than the physical suffering right right and and then and then on top of that at at the the apex of suffering under the weight of that he has the Father's divine wrath poured on him so that it all all the, the, the evil, all the bad, all the ick that uh, humanity has uh, 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 allowed itself to uh, uh, accomplish. Which needed to be punished right. by a just and holy God. Right, right. right. The, uh, you know, that, that, that's where we have to understand the, the completeness of God's character. The divine wrath is poured out on him. And in that moment, that's, that's one of the reasons why he dies early than, than the thieves hanging on the cross around him. And... It's from that death, then three days later, in fulfillment with the scripture. It's not an immediate, it's not a, a, a snap decision uh, that, uh, that, oh, he's, he's come back to life, he's, he's paid it. Um, there, there's a, a waiting game there where, where uh, you know, it's the, the holding your breath moment of, of the story. It's, uh, you know, the <laughs> shot rings out, you don't know if the good guy's shot or the bad guy's shot, and you wait for one of them to fall. And, uh, and it, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, there, there's a, a, a quote that I think I shared on online today where it was, uh, you know, the, the uh, apostles are hiding, uh, the, the Romans are cleaning off their tools, the, the Jews are celebrating, the, the devil is laughing, and Christ is in the grave. 
but Sunday is coming. Mm. So, yeah. and so yeah. we, 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 we do a disservice to what Christ saves us from and how he saved us uh, when we don't take seriously um, uh, in, in our own words um, that, that description. And it's, it's hard to do, especially from a, a reprobate mind. And, and, and it's, it's kind of hard to get along that fact, but that message is also the one that saves us. It, it brings people from, from dead men to life. Uh, and it took a, 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 a life man dead to then raise himself uh, again from, from the dead, um, showing the, the, the sacrifice, the, 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 the um, penalty was paid in full. And so that's, that's one of the reasons the resurrection also had to happen. Yeah. And so that's why we need to do our due diligence. And again, this is more of a, a statement against me than anybody else uh, of, of doing a, a better job of, uh, of portraying that. And I think this chapter has helped uh, talked about uh, uh, the, the importance of that and, and exactly what's happening. It's not just here's an event that happens, but here's where um, uh, God is, is most glorified. And so, yeah. so we expect, so the greatest event to be in human history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. We're not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> so suddenly uh, he pierces the silence with an equally unearthly cry of abandonment of God's forsakenness, the cry of dereliction. Jesus echoes the forlorn words of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me in, uh, in Psalm uh, 22, one, and again, it's it's interesting that it's the the first portion of that because in, in Matthew twenty seven forty six that's his his decree or his his, his cry out. Uh, but that would be a uh, kind of uh, you know realizing exactly who's around the cross. And so you know if if uh, we were uh, to, to to put my uh, uh, millennial spin on it, if if I was uh, talking about songs, and I said somebody. Well, everybody knows <laughs> that Smash Mouth is is uh, after that, and so this is God. This is Jesus on the cross, referencing something that the the Jewish people would know at the foot of the cross. So, so much so that even even some of the Roman soldiers take realization to to what what is going on. Mm. Uh, how how unique this is that this guy uh, who shouldn't really be up here. Um, um, is is an important uh, person that uh, is the Son of God, and so he's referencing uh, exactly what's happening in the rest of Psalm 22 by by this this uh, small portion, uh, which is hard for him to eke out because we see him just dec- just saying one or two words or short phrases uh, at the cross because of course he would. So as darkness descends on Calvary at noon, it becomes a nightmarish image of the absence of God in hell. Jesus is cast into this outer darkness, the scapegoat taken beyond the cosmos, the realm of order and beauty, sinking instead into a black hole which no light could penetrate and from which in and of itself nothing benign or meaningful could ever emanate. Again, the importance of of that and how that's just a, a brush up of what we can kind of understand from our perspective. And there Jesus bears the unbearable in its completeness, satisfying every last demand of God's just wrath against those for whom the son died. Mm. Yeah. And the, the, the importance of that. And yet Christensen tells us that uh, what nobody knows except God is that the darker the sky grows, the more certain it is that the darkness would be defeated. Yeah. Right. Again, this is the Christian message. <laughs> yet. Yeah. That's the word. That's, That's the right. word that you start with. That's yet. Right. <laughs> and, and yet, 
And yet, right. Yeah. So supreme glory then is preceded and thus enhanced by the foulest sin that this ugly realm could conjure. Right. At the moment when Christ took on himself the sin of the world, his figure on the cross was the most grotesque. Right, most obscene mass of consecrated sin in the history of the world. Uh, the Son, as man, was abandoned by the Father so that those of us who trust in him for pardon will never be abandoned. Right. That's right. why uh, we give our sin to Christ, and uh, in equal fashion, we get, we get the best uh, uh, quality, which is God's righteousness on us. That, that's uh, part of the, the adoption process right there. All right, how about the mystery of Christ's suffering? Yeah. Is it a mystery? Well, it seems it seems like it. It seems like uh, this leads us to the looming question about the nature of the father-son breach expressed in the, the cry of uh, uh, dereliction. Orthodoxy rejects uh, patropassinism. Patropassinism. Uh, patropassinism. Right, so Petra's father. Right. Passive. Right? right. Right. So God is... And not passive, right? So, patropassivism. There you go. Something like that. Right? <laughs> Put it in Greek. Well, it would be way better. Or Latin. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll just play clips of, uh, of R.C. Sproul saying it. It'll be easier. The idea that God the Father suffers as did the Son in the work of redemption. Okay, so patropassivism is historically connected to the heresy of Sabellianism. That one I know. Modalism. <laughs> so, that's the idea that uh, the, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are the same person and they just take on on these different modes and when to express themselves. So the father comes down as the son suffers uh, there in the garden. He's talking to himself. And then uh, when, when he ascends up into heaven, then he changes himself into right. the, so to the this Holy is, Spirit. This is the one I always think of, of the, the hat theory. Right? <laughs> God changes hats depending <laughs> on what he's doing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a Bugs Bunny cartoon about yeah. that. <laughs> so uh, this, this modalism says that, uh, which it says the father morphs into the son uh, incarnate and thereby suffers as the son. The father did not suffer in any direct manner. Only the son underwent the pal- palpable pain of redemption. Furthermore, only the human nature of Christ suffered loss. Mm, so that's, I, that's, and that's, that's an a, important. Very important. Yeah. Only the human nature right, of, it, right. of him uh, suffers. The divine nature cannot suffer loss and cannot die. Again, we, we kind of established that. Beforehand. And that's why he had to be both man and God. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And again, not a mixture, not half and half. Right. He's not a, a this demigod Hercules uh, per- person. He is he has two fully natures. Fully God and fully man. Yeah, the nature of God and the nature of man. Right. right. This would be an absurdity of the highest order. Likewise, there was no rupture or even the threat of rupture in the Trinity on the cross or during the cry of dereliction. There was no breach in the same divine essence shared by the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Right. So they were still, he was still part of the Trinity. Right. He was still God. He was still upholding the, the uh, normal processes of the universe on the cross at the worst moment in history. Yeah. That's how great of a God he is. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, the question then is, uh, what exactly happened then on the cross, right? So he says, uh, in, in order to understand the, uh, the tension, right, it is important to note another doctrine worked out in the Christology of the early church called the communication of properties. You get the easier words. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, it, there is a word there, but I kind of took it oh, Okay, out. okay. <laughs> I see how it is. <laughs> uh, the idea here is that the, uh, the divine nature has unique properties or attributes that are distinct from the properties or attributes of human nature, right? And so the d- divine is uh, 
impassable, as we saw earlier, and the human is passable. Uh, The divine is immortal. The human is mortal. The divine is all-powerful. The human is weak. The divine is immutable, unchangeable. The human is mutable, changeable. The divine is untemptable. The human is temptable, and so forth. So the unique attributes that belong only to the divine nature cannot be shared by the human nature and vice versa. Right, so that gives us a glimpse then how to deal with this particular issue. Right? It, yeah, it helps. Uh, it's it's hard. Uh, again, th- this is the part of the the, the chapter that I had to rewrite and or reread, and then um, uh, again, my underline should have been the opposite because I should have underlined what I didn't want to remember. But I have a lot of stars and a lot of underlines <laughs> and uh, question marks and everything like that. So. Um, it, it's a thing to struggle with, and I think it's good for us to struggle with. And I'm not just saying that so that uh, I, I, I look uh, very humble and and and, and good, but um, it, it's a it's a difficult concept because um, of just how important uh, the incarnation is, and that's the entirety of the incarnation. All right. All right. So this leads to the doctrine stating that the properties or the attributes of the theanthropic persons, two natures, cannot be communicated to one another at the level of nature, but that some properties can be communicated at the level of person. So notice he's making then again, this distinction between Jesus Christ's natures and he as a person. Mm -hmm. So two natures in one person. And so the, you know, uh, these things can be, um, uh, you know, communicated, he says to, to one another in his person, but not in his nature. Right. Right. Especially when we talk about, uh, if you're doing kind of a, maybe a, a systematic theology, uh, uh, I know, I think Grudem starts out with the communicable and communic- uh, incommunicable um, characteristics of God that he shares with humans. And mm-hmm. so uh, um, things like love, uh, but then things like all presence is, is not there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so in a similar fashion, we're, we're talking about that uh, uh, with the incarnate Christ and, and the Father. So the divine nature of Jesus participates in the suffering of the human nature, not directly, but rather because the two natures are joined together in the person of the Son. This prevents both the person-nature distinction and the very important creator-creature distinction from being violated. Right. So they're, they're, they're distinct even in the one person. Right. right? Yeah, right. That's what he's getting this, at. This is where, you know... Um, Jesus on the cross and the prophecy says that uh, that uh, no no bone should be broken and we we um, we know that the Roman soldiers would go around and if the people needed to die sooner they'd break their legs they come up to you know Jesus yeah. about because they were using their legs. legs to hold themselves up right. so they could breathe but, right? because yeah. you you want them to uh, excruciatingly consist for for yeah. days at, yeah. at a time yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the, the the Passover was coming and and. You didn't want a, a a a big riot because because Jews were hanging on 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 a tree, which was already bad enough. Um, and so, uh, uh, could that have been the case that uh, it, it it went against, uh, that it would go against? Well, theoretically, yes. Like uh, the Roman soldiers could have done it, but in the confines of of God's um, movements uh, uh, in history, uh, was that possible? Well, no. And in similar fashion, could could Jesus Christ himself have had sinned if he wanted to? Well, his human nature had uh, kind of the ability to sin if so desired, but the, the divine nature uh, um, uh, in 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 the the being of, of Jesus 
uh, kind of wouldn't allow it. And so that's or the not, person, of the, Jesus, the, the person, right? Yeah, uh, the person. Yeah, of Jesus. yeah. Yeah. Good. So what about the father then? Well, Christensen tells us that furthermore, since there is an interpersonal unity or mutual indwelling between the persons of the, you know, the father and the son and the spirit, then the father also to, you know, to uh, participates in the suffering of the son, though again, not directly. Right. So this there is a strange and incomprehensible sense in which it both pleased and grieved the father to crush his beloved son. And so we can affirm that God, via the incarnation, came to mysteriously know human pain and suffering and anguish firsthand and in the same human manner that we experience it. Right. He experienced it as uh, in his human nature. Uh, in his person as in, in the incarnation. Right. right. It, it was his plan to start with, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to tell us die, it is finished. The only theodicy that can satisfy the demand posed by the conflict of evil must be something extraordinary. A theodicy must not merely address how to make sense of humanity's plight under the fate, frightful pale of suffering and evil. It must understand how God intersects this fallen world via the incarnation, how he fares under the devastating conditions of a cursed creation. How does he survive? The strength of the greater glory theodicy is revealed in the uh, unusual glory that God receives as a result of the paradoxical uh, uniqueness of the plan of redemption he engineered to defeat evil. The plan employs some unheard of div- uh, something unheard of that is uh, divine infirmity from First uh, Corinthians one twenty five an ironic and mysterious form of strength completely unfamiliar to our way of thinking. Right, so usually we think of the strong hero who defeats, you know, the villain and, and you know, everybody lives happily ever <laughs> right. after, right? Here we see almost the opposite. Here's the, the hero is defeated by the villain, but yet overcomes the villain in the defeat, right? right? So it's kind of unusual, mm-hmm. here, right? And so this is where the uh, Christensen tells us the trilemma right, of evil is solved. And of course, you know, remember the trilemma. Since evil exists, it assumes that the existence of either God's goodness or his power must go. That's the idea of the trilemma, right? Either God is good or powerful or or evil doesn't exist or whatever. So here it is. He says either uh, God is good, but sadly not powerful, right? So there he's not powerful enough to defeat evil. Or he is all powerful, but he's kind of disconcertingly not good enough and therefore wishes for evil to prevail. This, he says, uh, misses the confluence of the incongruities of God and evil together. And he says the, the solution is, is simple. Simple. Yeah. I, I don't understand. Yeah. Hundreds of years. Why, 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 why do we keep writing books about this? <laughs> so God proposed evil. And so here it is, yeah. the simple solution. Right. God right. proposed evil to exist so that his power and goodness would be supremely demonstrated in the strange and ironic wonder of the cross and empty tomb tomb that crush evil in such dramatic fashion as to produce supreme goods outstripping any good that could come about without the prevalence of evil. This is now, uh, this is not how any human intellect would uh, devise the world, but then again, we cannot pretend to match the other worldly goodness and wisdom of God's sovereign plan. Again, uh, it's the, we should expect the unexpected with a a, a transcendent God. Mm. 
And so he says, uh, the nails of the cross drove a death blow through sin, right? Suffering and death as the Savior cried out, it is finished, right? Uh, This bloody cry is the locus of God's extreme and extrinsic glory and explains why the heavenly chorus shouts, right? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, Revelation 5.12. Christ's supreme glory is forever connected with his identity as the lamb who was slain, right? right. So notice glory from being slain, right? Mm-hmm. That's the idea here. Glory from defeat, but because, you know, it didn't end there in the defeat, right? Right. Yeah. And, th- and that's why John sees the lamb who was slain, uh, you know, in, in the throne, in the throne room of, of, uh, of heaven as well in, in Revelation, and so that's the the importance of of uh, and Jesus still maintaining um, his his uh, uh, two natures, uh, uh, even even in death, uh, even in the in his um, kind of second life here. Right, right. All right, heavy stuff. Yeah, but really, important stuff. Really, yeah. So again, uh, we're dealing with theodicy, and not just um, uh, why evil exists, but why evil exists uh, in a world with God. Uh, and, and so the defeater is attempting to defeat God by saying there's evil in the world and we can, so either God isn't powerful or he isn't good yeah. right? or he isn't there. Yeah. And yeah. evil, or he isn't there, and evil exactly. doesn't exist. Yeah. And, and then we have a moot question right back to the start of things. <laughs> um, uh, and, and so, uh, this is not just why evil exists, but how does God, uh, deal with it? Because, uh, in the, uh, greater glory theodicy here, um, it's done for a purpose. And so uh, this is the, the, the second part of, of Christian's book from his uh, explanation is uh, explaining uh, how God uh, ultimately deals with evil and for what purpose evil came about. And mm. so that's why we're still continuing to read and uh, the importance of, of these things. And again, look, look at what we focused on is the person of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, uh, who God is, the story he tells it seems to be we're really focused on God for some odd reason. Yeah, I, yeah, where where do amazing. I come into play here? Yeah. Oh, that's right. I'm the one that gave him the sin that, that he had to die for. All yeah, right. Well, yeah. man, I'm just going to slink in the background here. I'll be the, I'll be the guy hiding behind the, the tall people in the, that's in the right. back. <laughs> and so uh, we have two more chapters, but they're uh, lengthy chapters. They're important chapters. And so uh, hopefully you'll come back and join us uh, as uh, we continue with uh, figuring out uh, who the cosmic redeemer is. Yeah. Uh, And uh, thank you for uh, continuing to watch, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time.